Hi, you're listening to the Zoe Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Zoe Fellowship exists to have fellowship with God, with one another, and to extend that fellowship to others through the work of Jesus Christ. This week's sermon is from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14, and is preached by Pastor Paul Hong. Due to the ongoing pandemic, Zoe Fellowship Sundays have moved online until further notice. Search for Zoe Fellowship in the YouTube search box and subscribe to our channel for updates and join us for new messages every Sunday at 1 p.m. Would you please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We are in the last uh, five verses, uh, verses starting in verse 9 of chapter 12, reading through uh, verse 14. So if you have your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9 through 14, read along with me. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is God's word. January 20th, 1993. This is a letter I want to read to you. Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticism you may not think is fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice, but, don't, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. You will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success now is our country's success. I'm rooting hard for you. Good luck. George H.W. Bush. January 20th, 2001. Dear George, Today you embark on the greatest adventure with greatest honor that can come to an American citizen. Like me, you are especially fortunate to lead our country in a time of profound and largely positive change when old questions, not just about the role of government, but about the very nature of our nation must be answered anew. You lead a proud, decent, good people, and from this day, you are president of all of us. I salute you and wish you success and much happiness. The burdens you now shoulder are great, but often exaggerated. The sheer joy of doing what you believe is right is inexpressible. My prayers are with you and your family. Godspeed. Sincerely, Bill Clinton. January 20th, 2009. Dear Barack, congratulations congratulations on becoming our president. You have just begun a fantastic chapter in your life. Very few have had the honor of knowing the responsibility you now feel. Very few know the excitement of the moment and the challenges you will face. There will be trying moments. The critics will rage. Your friends will disappoint you. But you will have an almighty God to comfort you, a family who loves you, and a country that is pulling for you, including me. No matter what comes, you will be inspired by the character and compassion of the people you now lead. God bless you. Sincerely, George W. Bush. As you can see, I've just read... um, 
the letters from, uh, from our previous presidents. Um, and these previous pre presidents have written these letters to each other as they pass the torch of the American presidency along throughout uh, from the beginning of the 90s. Uh, I believe President Obama also passed a letter on to President Trump uh, when he became president, but the contents of the letter were not released, and so I don't really have those for you, but President Trump did say that uh, the things that Barack Obama wrote, or President Barack Obama wrote, uh, were beautiful, um, and that he wasn't going to share them, at least not today, or not that day anyway. But maybe it will be released someday, right? But as you can see, these letters are uh, passed on to uh, people who have completely opposite viewpoints. They went from a conservative to a, a liberal, to back to a conservative, to a liberal, and now back to a conservative again, right? Um, and so you can see that they cross different party lines, uh, different generations, different perspectives, different viewpoints, right? But what you see here is the common thread of wisdom being passed on. These men became leaders of our nation with our, their own unique set of complex issues and problems that they had to tackle with the resources that they had at, at the time. They knew the feeling of honor, respect, stress, joy, and the pressure of overwhelming odds that were against them. And what they did in these letters is share those words of wisdom as the next guy came along to take on that role, to prepare them for their term of leadership in the White House. And in a way, this is exactly the whole reason why the book of Ecclesiastes exists. The purpose of uh, Ecclesiastes, why it was written and compiled, is to pass on words of wisdom to those following the preacher so that those who read it can live a good and wise life and to enjoy life. And so we are here now, finally, at the last week of Ecclesiastes, right? Um, uh, if you can believe it, we've st we start at the beginning of June. We are now at the end of August. It's the last Sunday of August, if you can believe it, and we start September pretty soon. Uh, 2020 has been epically epic. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. It's been epic, and uh, who knows what's coming, but let's trust in God and all that. But um, for the time being, this is our last week in Ecclesiastes. Um, this, this passage that we just read, it's sort of an epilogue of the whole letter. It's no longer passing on like wisdom, the teachings of the preacher itself, but rather it's explaining now uh, what the wisdom is ultimately for. Uh, he gives us the reasons behind why he has written these experiences and thoughts down and decided to pass them on. And so what we can do then, as sort of the main point for today's message, is this, that we should listen, right? We should listen to the words of the wise, right? We should listen to the words of the wise. And, and, and what I'm going to go through today is um, what these words of the wise are for, ultimately, because his intention isn't just so that we'll just hear it and just walk away, right? Um, his intention is that it changes us. It transforms us. It uh, changes the way we look at life and approach life in general. So, uh, the intents that he writes out in these, uh, in, in these last few verses is this. So starting the first thing, starting in verse 9, uh, the words of the wise are for delight. Look at verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and, uplight, and, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. And so... From this, we know that the, this preacher, not only did he write these down, but he carefully compiled these Proverbs together and arranged them um, and pieced them together uh, to benefit his readers. 
And when you think about it, what kind of person does this, right? What, who goes through the pain and toil of writing and gathering and organizing, weighing, studying, and arranging all these lessons and proverbs? Who does that with anything? Uh, I think you could argue that somebody who is passionate about whatever subject matter is would, would go through all this trouble, right? Uh, so, for example, my, uh, me and, and a couple of friends of mine, we, like, we enjoy watching the NBA, and so we actually have this, this uh, ex, or, um, Google Sheet where we uh, have all our uh, predictions for the season and who's going to win the MVP and who's going to be a first-team All-NBA, second-team All-NBA, who's going to be all-team defense, and um, all those kinds of things, who's going to win Coach of the Year. We have all, this giant spreadsheet um, that we update throughout the season as we go on um, because we're passionate about the NBA. We love it. It's so much fun. And in the same way, you know that the preacher also is passionate about uh, the things that he's written down. But what's interesting, though, is that on top of that, if you look at verse 10, he says, the preacher sought to find words of delight. So not, is he, not only is he passionate about the subject matter, he wants people to enjoy the things he's written. And he, not on, on top of that, he wants uh, to, these words to give this person joy, right? The preacher sought to find words of delight. And so this takes it further than just uh, passion for the material. This is to give joy and delight to the reader. And this is love. And le- love ultimately leads to truth, which he says he's, which the preacher says he did, right? And uprightly he wrote words of truth. And so these words of delight aren't just for you to feel better about, to like give you a boost and motivation to live right or whatever the case. That's not what the Bible is for. That's not what words of delight are for, right? Words are of delight, or words of delight are words of delight because they are words of truth, because they show and explain and uh, help you navigate reality, the truth of creation and the world. And the reality is, is, as we have seen in Ecclesiastes, is that sometimes the truth hurts, right? And that leads us to verse 11 and sort of the second reason or the second uh, intent for these words that are being passed on. The second intent is this, the words of the wise are for guidance. They're for guidance. Look at verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of, many, of making many books there is no end, and much study is, weary, is a weariness of the flesh. Uh, if you don't know what a goad is, a goad is an instrument with something like sharp at the end of it, usually just a sharp edge, or, a, or sometimes there's a blade or something on it. Um, and it's what farmers in those days used to use to uh, sort of like poke and prod at oxen or cattle to plow fields, right? It would move them along. And it was painful, but it moved them in the right direction and to get wherever they needed to go and, whatever with, and to do whatever work that needed to be done. And so the preacher compares the words of the wise like these goads, these sharp uh, sticks, right? The way we approach life is not something that we find within ourselves and in our own hearts. And I think that's actually a message that um, the world keeps trying to push on us. That like we just need to find it in ourselves. There's nobody up above guiding us or outside of us. We are all independent, autonomous. But that's not what scripture tells us. It seems like something, somebody and something is poking and prodding us along. And that's what and the tool by which he pokes and prods us along is. Uh, words of wisdom. 
And so these words are like goads. They poke and prod us with truth and righteousness. And it hurts because we have to understand we are sinful and we are prone to wander away from our plows and the work that God has called us to do. And so this same sort of imagery is used when the preacher says the words of the wise are like nails firmly fixed. So a lot of people, when they read that, they think, oh, okay, maybe the words of the wise, they're nailed up on a door or a post so everyone can read it and they're there and they're like, it's just like law, right? It's just there and it can't be changed. I think they get the thing of the, maybe the words of the wise, they, they don't change. It is truth after all, right? But I, but I think because it says that they all come from one shepherd, this actually fits better with shepherd imagery, meaning these nails that are firmly fixed are, uh, are describing nails that, uh, an instrument that a shepherd often used, which had sometimes sharp nails at the end of it, and they would do the same thing to sheep that these farmers would do to oxen and cattle. They would poke and prod along these sheep to go in the right direction, right? So that's what they would often do, these shepherds. And, and, and what's interesting here is the preacher shifts over to this imagery of uh, a shepherd. And the shepherd is sort of the, uh, describes the source of these words of wisdom. They all come from one shepherd. There are dozens of references in the Bible talking about God as shepherd of his people. It's interesting that this is so common uh, about God and his people because I think um, when we think about God and his character, we often think about him as holy, uh, majestic, omniscient, all-powerful, and all those things are true. But the Bible often talks about God as this shepherd, this humble, lowly, poor shepherd. Right, and and so this humble, it's, God is a shepherd. He's a, a, it's a humble and lowly profession dealing with humble and lowly creatures. And so this instrument he uses to guide these humble and lowly creatures is wisdom, right? These words of wisdom, and and his warning in verse twelve is sort of a reflection of that reality. When he warns against much study, he isn't he isn't trying to tell us to be anti scholarly or or to never study things or get to know things of this world. That's not what he's saying. But he is telling us or at least emphasizing us the things that you're being poked with shouldn't be the the wisdom of the world. It should be the words of the wise from Scripture, from uh, God's word, from this shepherd. Uh, be, he's basically saying, beware of anything besides what God has revealed to us through his own wisdom and word. And we ought to remember also that we are sheep. Okay, Sheep are not totally autonomous, independent creatures. They come in flocks and are guided by a shepherd. Right? So we are sheep. The Lord is our shepherd. And this shepherd's words are for guidance. These words of the wise. Which leads us to the, the, the last intent that uh, this shepherd has or uh, the, the preacher has for us with the words. And the words of the wise are for obedience. They're to be obeyed. Look at verse 13. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So as you know, as we've been emphasizing almost every week, of the three themes that we've been going over and over again with, um, the three things are that nothing is permanent, including us. We're not going to leave any lasting legacy behind. It all just melt away, right? Uh, the second thing is that life is a gift to be enjoyed, and so we ought to enjoy it. And then finally, we ought to fear God and obey him, right? God is sovereign. He's our creator, and so we should obey him and fear him. And so 
what's interesting is that, that the preacher ends with this final theme of fearing God and obey him. All of them he has emphasized over and over again throughout the course of the book, but he ends the book with the reality of God's judgment over our lives and behavior. Did you live your life like your life was short? Did you seek satisfaction in the right things? Did you enjoy your life? Did you work hard? Did you find joy? Did you love your neighbor well? All these questions are essential questions to the Christian life and as we approach life. But, but the answer to those questions are going to be informed by the answer to this question. Did you fear God and keep his commandments? This theme of fearing God and obeying him supersedes all the other themes. Finding enjoyment in life and understanding the impermanence of life is only done well when fearing God and obeying his commandments. Knowing that God is the sovereign creator king over all of life helps us to see that he is the one who has appointed the time for us to finally go, right, to to die. It's up to him. And so we ought to fear him. Our lives are in his hands. So are the times that we go through. Knowing that God has revealed himself as a sovereign creator king puts us in the position of uh, his, as, as his servants and stewards of his creation. Right? We're not here to just play and do whatever we want, though we ought to enjoy life, but that's not what he means by enjoy your life. We're here to serve and be stewards as he has called us to do. And so we ought to keep his commandments, Right? So he isn't passing these words on to just leave them to collect dust. Okay? He's, he expect, expects us to study them and learn them, lean on them, and to obey them ultimately. The words of the wise are for obedience. And so to draw this to a close, I just want to point out one more detail in verse 12 that kind of helps us to see the preacher's reason why he's passing on these words of the wise to us. Look who he is talking to. At the beginning of verse 12, it says, my son. These words, of the wisdom, uh, these words of wisdom are for his son, the next generation, right? His children. Yes, he is a preacher, and the readers are his uh, congregation, in a sense. And yes, he is a teacher, and the readers are his students. He's teaching them, right? Passing on knowledge and, and wisdom about life. And yes, he is a king, as he has told, him, uh, as he has, uh, told us. He is a king, and his readers are his, his subjects, or citizens even. But he is also, maybe most importantly, a father, and his readers are his children, or the next generation. And, and I can think of nothing greater than wisdom being passed on from a father to his son or children. By no means, in, by no means are uh, parents perfect, right? And age isn't the only factor that contributes to wisdom. However, whether we like the previous generation or not, whether we agree with them, uh, whether they've failed us or not, whether they've done everything well or not, we ought to have an open ear to what they have to say. And I say we because most of us at Zoe Fellowship, we're we're young. Okay, most of us are young. Most of us are in our mid-20s. Some of us are in our 30s. We are not old, okay? Much wisdom just comes from living life. And so age, while it doesn't constitute a perfect wisdom and righteousness, um, there is still a lot of wisdom that comes from aging, um, as God has ordained, and we cannot and should not ignore that. Proverbs 16.31 says that gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gain in a righteous life. So if somebody lives long, it's to, we, we can look at them and seek out wisdom from them on how to live a righteous life. That's the idea. 
So our fathers and mothers and grandparents and those who have come before us, who have tried to pass down wisdom to us, and maybe we've rebelled or rejected them, maybe we need to have an open ear again as we grow older. And so this letter, with all of the ups and downs and the perceived cynicism in it that we've seen, the vanity of vanities, the unrelenting toils of life, uh, the grievous evils under the sun, the seasons of life that we all walk through, the repetitive uh, ins and ebbs and flows of time, the injustices that we see, the, the eating and drinking and being merry, all of it is imbued with fatherly love that is meant to be passed down to the next generation. And so in this way of wisdom, we find joy. We find our place, purpose, and role uh, in this short life that we live. Uh, We find the compass to navigate this created and fallen world. Uh, We find the shepherd that leads us to still waters and makes us lie down in green pastures and protects us from wolves. We find the fair and just judge who considers our deeds in the light and in the darkness and judges them in righteousness and truth.